1962, a Cuban minister named Noble Alexander fell victim to the communist regime of Fidel Castro. Like other Christians throughout Cuba, Noble and his wife lived in fear. The fear of violence, the fear of imprisonment, even the fear of death. And amidst a regime built on paranoia and injustice, Noble was taken from his family, falsely accused of conspiracy to assassinate the communist dictator. But his most serious crime was not his supposed assassination or the aiding and abetting the flight of counter-revolutionaries. His most serious crime of all was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was this gospel that thrived in a prison called La Cabana Fortress, which people called the Death House, and where Noble suffered unimaginable cruelty. He writes a story in a book called I Will Die Free. And he says this when talking about uh, stepping in and living in this death house. I would have never imagined that here I would receive a surge of renewed life. That I would find myself surrounded by God's mercy and love. In spite of my scars, in spite of my exhaustion, in spite of everything, I felt so rich. Last week we finished preaching through 1 Timothy. And this week we begin a new series. Wait for it. 2 Timothy. I know. I know you were on the edge of your seat. You can scoot back. And while both letters are written from Paul to Timothy, the aim of this letter is a little bit different. Paul is writing from prison. He's facing his imminent death. He's lonely. He's isolated. He's even been abandoned by many in his ministry. But what I love about these pages of 2 Timothy is they really show the humanity of Paul. I think it's easy for us to see Paul as this real hard, stern man who just wants to talk about doctrine and theology. Uh, That's how I often view him at sometimes. I'm kind of like, man, I don't know if I would have liked Paul. But here in these pages, you you get a, a beautiful sense of his humanity. And I think we need to remember, too, that as we talk about 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, this was a letter. It's easy for us to, to dive into these things and kind of want to dissect every little piece. And what's he really saying? There's a place for that. But there's also a place for remembering that this was a letter that he wrote. <laughs> and think about the kind of emotions that you put in a letter to somebody. There's a lot of emotion in this letter as he writes to Timothy. Timothy, he calls Timothy his beloved child. And at this point, Paul has suffered much And it's in his posture of what I call hopeful exhaustion. He has this call to perseverance. It's a call to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ, Or to be ashamed of Paul's imprisonment. It's a call to Timothy to set his eyes on Jesus. The one who sustains, who delivers, who prepares a place for his people. We're going to look at the first seven verses of this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, 
mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. The word of the Lord. I want to take these seven verses and just look at it in three ways. And I have succumbed to the Presbyterian way of alliteration. I tried not to. I even rolled my eyes when I did this, but I was like, it just works. So I'm going to go with it. In these verses, we see a promise, we see a people, and we see a power. PPP, not to be confused with the PPP alone. Um, man, you guys are killing me tonight. Um, it's okay. Um, a promise, a people, a power. It's tough. First, a promise. Uh, I want to use Noble Alexander's story uh, to, to carry us through this, uh, through this passage a little bit. Noble's, who we just talked about, this uh, Cuban pastor. After first entering the death house, Noble stands stripped and naked, while a guard, a soldier, and an interrogator, each dressed in heavy clothing, laughed and talked among themselves. And this was their dialogue. The revolution will last forever, my interrogator declared as he sat before me. Yes, the second soldier agreed. It is great and invincible. It will surely last for more than a thousand years, my guard escort replied. I do not know if there is an eternity, but if there is, the revolution will outlast it. Well, in verse 1 of our passage, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Paul here is deeply aware of a kingdom, an eternity that supersedes any man-made revolution, that supersedes any kind of dictatorship. And this declaration, this reminder of his apostleship serves to emphasize the precedent of his call. He's in prison because of Jesus. He faces death because of Jesus. And yet, to Jesus, he clings. His apostleship is not over. We're at the very end of his life, and this apostleship ex exists till the end to carry into effect this promise. To embolden Timothy with the reality of the gospel work in Timothy's life, in the work of his church in Ephesus and beyond. This church had problems. Timothy's church. Once thriving, this church is now tangled in controversy. It's being fooled by false teachers and enticed by myths. That sounds pretty familiar, especially this, in this culture we're living in. Paul longs to see this church restored. He wants to remind them of the, the firm foundation on which they stand, this promise. And on this foundation, Paul rests with a clear conscience, meaning he looks back at his life and he can say, I, I can stand blameless before the Lord. What confidence he has. And here he celebrates his and Timothy's godly heritage. And he prays, it says he prays day and night 
Well, the only other place in the New Testament where this, this posture of prayer is, the language of this posture of prayer is used by Paul is in Romans 9 2. This is interesting. It says this that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. This is the kind of anguish that Paul was carrying. Think about this, that that Paul longed so much for people to be redeemed by Jesus that he was willing to be accursed. It's humbling. To be honest, prayer is is hard for me. Um, I intend to pray, but oftentimes my my intentions are are thwarted by self-consumption, cynicism, you name it. But I think prayer is hard when we're only concerned with ourselves. When we're suffering, it's easy to fix our sights on our problems, on our plights. But Paul's suffering has expanded his periphery. His concern is for Timothy and for his church. And as he shares in the sufferings of Christ, he sees more clearly the promise of his redemption. His suffering reveals a greater reality. A pastor of mine once said, this was years ago, he said, I don't pray well unless I pray with people. I tend to agree with that. For us to be a praying people is to cultivate a a corporate anguish for the things of God. To see God redeem things, to see God rescue people, to see the kind of uh, holistic restoration that is promised when we read Scripture. Our faith is not isolated, but it flourishes here in this particular body to which God has called you. Hope Presbyterian Church. This is the community that God has given us. To come together, to pray, to cultivate together that corporate anguish for the things of God. The people of God need the people of God. We've looked at a promise. Let's look at a people. What does this show us about a people? Continuing the story of Noble. Noble recognized one of the prisoners who he soon realized was a man named Antonio who had been in the Cuban Constitutional Marines, a group that was overthrown by the revolution. He was a harsh and violent man, but here in this prison, this man was different. He learned it was the transforming power of the gospel that changed this man into more of a counselor than an officer to be feared and hated by his men. Every day, Antonio shared his love for Christ, and soldiers and prisoners alike learned to love and respect him. Jesus redefined relationship and family and connection. In verses 3 and 5 of our passage, Paul writes, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This promise of life that is in Christ Jesus is displayed in the people of God. A mighty heritage from Abraham to now. Paul finds sustenance in remembrance of the sincere faith of his ancestors and of Timothy's grandmother and mother. He has benefited greatly from their faithfulness. 
not too long ago, I read a book, uh, a whole book, um, called From Memory to Imagination. And the book really is written about uh, music and worship. And he's talking about this idea of how do, we, how do we bridge the gap between tradition, so to speak, like our history, uh, and then the present day. And his whole thing is if we, if we have a, a memory of those that have gone before us, stylistically and so forth, uh, it will help us cultivate an imagination for music moving forward. But this quote stood out to me as we talk about this. Memory is always part of our faith, for it is in remembering that we are drawn back to God's work in history, both cosmic history and individual history. To understand God in our contemporary context, we must consider God's actions in the past, for it is in doing so that we are often able to see God working in the present. It is easy for us to disconnect from the past, to make these extraordinary claims about our generation. We tend to criticize other generations, generations before us, wanting to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sometimes we want to throw the whole tub out the window. But we need those who go before us. We need them. We need these brother and sister saints to show us what faithfulness over a long period of time looks like. To remind us that Jesus really is with us, that Jesus really is for us. And we have a tendency to the now and to this consumer mindset that, that often misplaces the, the beautiful reality of family, the beautiful reality of community, of all the ways that we are connected to one another. How our histories are connected. Sadly, many of you may come from uh, an abusive home, abusive family, abusive church. And especially when you're dealing with the things of God, this can create a lot of confusion, a lot of fear, a lot of distrust. But let me tell you this. There's things that you were given their lies. You can damn those lies to hell. That is not a heritage. Uh, it's not the heritage that God established for you, that God wanted for you. And similarly, as you may think, I didn't come from a Christian family. As we think about those kinds of instances, those kinds of uh, backgrounds, there's much to grieve there. But I'll say this, perhaps you have a better understanding of the church as a family than many of us, myself included. You experience the tension of joy and tears, this longing for a different history, but somehow in the mess, you're certain of Jesus' faithfulness to draw you to himself. And you have seen it and you've experienced it. You've seen Jesus establish a new family line for you. Guys, this is what the church is. It's beautiful how it redefines our heritage, how it redefines our history. And that there are so many that have gone before us that, that we need. And it's in light of this that Paul encourages Timothy. We've talked about 
a promise, people, talk about a power. Verses 6 and 7. For this I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in, in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy is being called to the special and challenging task of shepherding a drifting church. And what I love here is Paul is building him up. He's not criticizing him. And Paul knows Timothy very well, and he knows that Timothy is often prone to timidity. And he's telling Timothy... I want to remind you that God gave you a spirit. And the spirit that God gave you is not one of timidity. The one you received is of power and of love and of self-discipline. If you are in Christ, this is the spirit we read, we read about earlier in Ezekiel. The Spirit who groans with us in our weakness. The Spirit that helps us. The Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We have this Spirit. We have this power in love and self-discipline. You may, you may think, ah, I don't feel like I love well. I don't need discipline. Well, that's why Paul is saying, fan into flame. This is the, the, the imagery here is that of blowing on a dying fire. He's not saying, well, you may not have it, so uh, get to it. He's saying, you have this spirit. So continue to cultivate these things, to, to fan into flame. And that kind of brings us back to we need each other to do that. To build one another up, to remind each other. To call out this proneness toward timidity that I certainly have. I, I was reading about this and I'm like, gosh, I feel like I understand Timothy a little bit. But it's so beautiful, like you would think Paul would bring down the hammer, but he's, he's gentle, I'm just reminding him. A while ago in therapy, don't tell, uh, I was talking about my fears in the places where I feel inadequate. I was weary, I was angry, I was, and wallowing in a, a pool of shoulds, like I should be doing this, I should be doing that, blah, blah, blah. And then she said to me, Justin, what if your weakness is the very thing that makes you good at your job? I was like, shut up. Um, but it, it was one of those moments that I, I didn't know how to respond because she was right. We prefer to hide or mask our weaknesses and we misunderstand strength as something we cultivate. Seeing the spirit as a mere accessory. What if we submitted our whole self to the Spirit's work? What if we submitted our whole self to a trusted friend? What if fighting for your joy means bringing everything to Jesus time and time again? And what if by confessing your weakness, you're reminded of the very power within you? In doing so, you share in this sufficiency of grace. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about... Uh, this, this thorn in his flesh. And he says he pleads with God to take it away. And God doesn't take it away. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. And what does Paul do? He begins to boast in his weakness. That's weird. He begins to boast in his weakness and saying, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Back to the story of Noble. I have a plan, his friend Antonio whispered. And generally when a prisoner used this phrase, it was an escape plan. Antonio had something else in mind. Dear friend, it is my mission to share the gospel here in this prison. Will you help me? Here? Where? Right here. Well, how do we begin? At the cross. At the cross. Why would Timothy want to be a part of this? Why not look at Paul's life and choose a different path? Why would these Cuban prisoners write the words of hymns on the inside of cigarette packs and sing, what a friend we have in Jesus in a death house? Because they're sharing in the mystery and the glory of Christ's suffering. They know that his promises are sure. And they experience it with each other. I often wonder um, if, we, if we suffer well. Uh, I think we oftentimes are obsessed with strength. Um, you can think about the culture wars, uh, our quickness to, to come in hot uh, in the name of Jesus and really get after it. And oftentimes I, I, I find in these kinds of conversations a complete lack of humility. Uh, that as they proclaim Jesus, there, there's a lot of Jesus that's missing. And I think there's something about how we suffer that breathes life into a, hurt, a hurting world. Even when this, such suffering means our ridicule. Because again, Paul is, is reminding Timothy, hey... You've got a lot to deal with, culturally, philosophically, theologically. All these things are, are coming into your church. All these things are happening in Ephesus. What are you going to do about it? And when you begin to step into that world and begin to proclaim this gospel of Jesus Christ, you're going to suffer. You're going to get pushback. You're going to get ridiculed. But again, I think there's, there's something about how we respond to that. Uh, that will confront people, not in a bad way. I think there's something about this kind of humility that, that is strange and compelling. We are all a little weary right now. Um, you know, we're after the last year, I, I think in a lot of different ways. Even though we feel like we're through the, the main part of it, uh, we, we still feel tired, still feel like we're getting our feet under us. Uh, this morning, uh, one of you, I don't know if you're here, but you posted on your, your Instagrams um, a, a story from a woman named Christine Kane. Uh, and it's just this, she just kind of goes down the, these quick phrases, just a reminder of who God is. And uh, I'm going to add a, my points into that because I'm a plagiarizer. Um, 
Good job, guys. We did it. Uh, um, she says this. Rest in the love of God. Rest in the favor of God. Rest in the promise of God. Rest in the people of God. Rest in the hope of God. Rest in the mercy of God. Rest in the kindness of God. Rest in the power of God. My friends, do not be ashamed of this gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We pray. Father, we confess our doubt. We confess uh, our fear of man. uh, That we oftentimes are ashamed. And Lord, yet you are patient. As we read earlier, it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And Lord, in your kindness... In many ways, as Paul is with Timothy, would you just remind us of what is ours in Jesus? Build us up, individually and together. In the name of Jesus, amen.